You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good morning. Welcome to Metro Vision Studios. Welcome to the Metro LA region of the Los Angeles International Church of Christ. My name is Reese Kia Aina. Thank you for tuning in to our worship service. Big shout out to our San Francisco Ohana and friends joining us all over the world. You know, we started a series called Things Jesus Taught. Robert's been doing a series on this. Uh, I'm going to be teaching. Casey's going to be teaching over the next couple months throughout you know, September, October, perhaps November. And we are excited about teaching the things that Jesus taught in the Bible. Some, some, um, some things that we uh, normally uh, know already, but also some things that we might not know. I have a question for you this morning as we dive into our series is if I asked you to describe Jesus in one word to a friend, what would you say? If I asked you to describe Jesus to a friend in one word, what would you say to that person? Perhaps you'd say that Jesus is loving or kind, compassionate, gracious, gentle, faithful maybe, perhaps even truthful, and he is all that. Many of us have these views of Jesus like that. But there's also a side that we may not like to recognize. Jesus is also assertive, honest. I mean, many of us could say brutally honest. Confrontive. Like he confronted sin like no other. He was audacious, radical, shrewd. And he got angry to the point of making a whip and turning tables over like a madman in John chapter 2. Is this your view of Jesus? You know, Jesus taught his disciples what to be angry about and what not to be angry about. And so my lesson is entitled this morning, What Angered Jesus? What Angered Jesus? Jesus. And you might be thinking, wow, that's a, that seems like a controversial title. We will explore what angered Jesus. Let's get some spiritual power and begin our lesson, What Angered Jesus, with a prayer. Let's pray. God, we love you. We pray for your guidance today. We pray your spirit is at work in the world and at work in our lives and at work through the scriptures that we're going to hear this morning that could challenge us, encourage us, inspire us, uh, Cause us to be disturbed about the things that you're disturbed about. And I know as we talk about anger, it, it, it is an emotion that can lead us into sin. But anger in itself is not necessarily that. I mean, Jesus got angry. Uh, we call that righteous indignation. So we, we pray your spirit will work in our hearts today that, that we would be, we would learn to get angry or, uh, or mad even or disturbed about the things that made hit Jesus like that. So we love you. We thank you. We pray for our Bible study. Thank you for all of our friends and family tuning into our worship service to be encouraged by your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you, what annoyed you this past week? What what just annoyed you, ticked you off, got you disturbed? You know, for me, I was driving on Sunday on the 405 and I found myself getting angry over a person going so slow on the freeway in the far left lane. You know those folks that are in the far left lane when they should be where? In the far right lane. Mercy. 
man, I was so mad. I was talking to myself. That's how mad I was. I was just like, man, this is crazy, you know. And and I'm not trying to downplay it, you know. If anger leads you to a sin, it's a sin. It's wrong. I need to repent. I needed to repent that day. We live in a new era of polarization. You know, each current issue has the potential of becoming so polarizing now. According to Pew Research, 93% of Americans are connected to the internet and 82% of Americans are connected to social media. Most of us have direct access to communicate in the public sphere. You know, you think about all these issues in politics, you know, Democrats versus Republicans, left, right, right, I mean, all of that. You know, you talk to somebody in the church about politics, OMG, you want to talk about polarizing, you want to talk about, like, people who seem so sophisticated, so gentle, you talk about politics, they're like a whole new creature, man, when you talk about something like, or, or the question of, who did you vote for? You know, the recall just happened, if you work through the fellowship, and I, well, who did you, did you recall? Governor Newsom or not. I mean, I'm talking, it gets out of control. People get mad. What what news station do you pay attention to? CNN or Fox News or other different outlets? The issue of vaccine, no vaccine, mask, no mask, right? Critical race theory. We, we, we've had, we've been uh, a whole year into just talking about race issues, which is, which is needed in our country. But it's so difficult to have the talk because it's so charged. Uh, and yet it's so important to do. Building the wall, not building the wall. Im- legal immigration, illegal immigration. The Afghanistan withdrawal that's been in the news. I mean, you know, so many people are on social media and, and uh, because we have access to it now. But these issues can become so polarizing. A man, an expert, you know, Raymond Novako, who's a psychology professor at the University of uh, California at Irvine, UCI School of Social Ecology, has said, and he's an expert in anger assessment and treatment, he has said, Americans are living in a big anger incubator. You know, that we're... We're in a big, we're in an incubator where we, we talk about all these issues and it, it just, it can lead to just incredible anger, tension, frustration. Uh, Dr. Joshua Morgenstein, a psychiatrist and chair of the American Psych- Psychiatric Association's Committee on the Psy- Psychiatric Dimensions of Disaster. <laughs> what a long, what a long title that was, right? Well, he said, this doctor who's a psychiatrist, that the country has been dealing with three disasters since 20, in 2020, superimposed on top of one another. The pandemic, the economic fallout, and civil unrest. I mean, think about that. If you've ever been on edge lately or felt tension like you've never felt before, we are all dealing with the health, financial, and race crises all at once. And that's not even talking about what's happening on in your normal life. So Americans are on edge now, and so you are not crazy if you've been thinking, man, am I crazy right now? I feel upset sometimes. I feel mad. I watch the TV and I want to turn it off, or I just feel so on edge. Um, There are a lot of things we're having to deal with now in our world. Many times we see anger as a self-destructive emotion, and it is. But Jesus had a certain type of anger, right? I mean, that's different than ours. You ever got so angry you ever felt so angry that you just turn red? I've seen people just turn bright red when they get anger. Or how about you're, when you're so mad 
You're just silent. You know, my kids know when dad is silent, he may get violent. I mean, unfortunately, that if I get silent, I'm a talker, right? I'm an engager. I'm the guy that likes to get involved and engage. If I don't feel good about something, I'm going to say it. But when I'm silent, I'm like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm good. That That's a terrible sign for me. You know, and Jesus got angry, but his anger was righteous indignation in the Bible. You know, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4, verse 26. He says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Meaning, you can be angry without it being sinful. Jesus' display of anger was very different than perhaps our anger. Well, how different, you may ask? Well, think about some of these things. He had proper motivation, focus, proper supplement, proper control, proper duration. Meaning, in terms of proper motivation, in other words, he was angry for the right reasons. He had a right motivation that was focused on God and others. In terms of proper focus, you know, his anger was targeted at sinful behavior toward others, never toward him. You know, he got angry over injustice toward others. People mistreating him, judging him, mocking him, spitting on him isn't what he got angry about. Isn't Jesus amazing? His his way of dealing with anger was so different than the way I deal with anger in my own life. He had a proper focus to it. He had a proper supplement. Proper supplement. You know, his anger was paired with love, compassion, and even grief. Not paired with hatred or ill will or you know revenge that's that's not what his anger was paired with it was amazing how he had this ability to be angry in a way that moved him to act you know and moved him to do good moved him to love to care to to have compassion because it's paired with that he also had proper control you know jesus had proper control he was in control of his anger he wasn't out of control emotionally. His anger, his ability to be ticked off was proportional to the sin. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11, wisdom says, Fools give full vent to their rage. Anybody do that? Anybody just go off the handle at times? I do. You know, that's been one of my biggest sins. When I get angry, Reese cannot hold it in. Man, you'll know when I'm angry, guys. I, I, I just cannot hold it in you know it's gonna come out i wear my emotions on my sleeves fools give full vent to their anger but the wise bring calm in the end you know jesus wasn't a fool that just gave full vent and just went off uncontrollably i may be this way but not jesus he also had proper duration proper duration with his anger that jesus was angry for a period of time he had a time frame of when to be angry. His anger didn't lead to bitterness or holding grudges for a lifetime, you know? Jesus was so unbelievable. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about things or have opinions or thoughts about current issues or things that matter to us or matters of the world. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if we're going to get mad and angry about things, perhaps we should consider getting mad or angry about the things that Jesus got mad or angry about. Make no mistake, Jesus got angry about sin, right? He hated sin, but he doesn't hate you or, or, or me. 
He, he loves you. He believes in you. He has compassion for you and even died for you. So what did Jesus get angry about? What disturbed him so much that he had to act? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I want you to be thinking about what gets you mad. And let's look at what gets Jesus mad. What ticks you off versus what ticked Jesus off? And I want to give you three appetizers just to get us ready for the entree, okay? I want to give you just three quick appetizers before we talk about the entree today uh, of what really, really got Jesus to act in a way where it's like, wow, I, that's not the view I have of Jesus. But remember, he is loving, he is care, he is compassion, but he also is confrontive. He also is assertive. He also is you got angry sometimes in in a godly way in a in a righteous way that produced uh change you know so what take Jesus off think about these passages in mark eight thirty one to thirty eight where Peter had a selfish concern because he was thinking about the things of man instead of the things of God you know and and Jesus told him, Get behind me satan right he Jesus was teaching the disciples look i'm going to i'm going to be uh i'm going to have to suffer i'm going to get rejected and on the and i'm going to be killed and on the third day i will rise again and peter was like no 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 he actually took jesus aside and rebuked him and jesus took him aside and rebuked him and said get behind me satan right i'm talking like man you know mental note I don't think rebuking Jesus is a good idea, period. You know, but for, for Peter, he didn't want Jesus to suffer, to be rejected and be killed. In other words, he didn't want to see his friend suffer and die. But that was God's will for Jesus, to die on a cross for people who may never appreciate or acknowledge his sacrifice. And Jesus was strong with Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You're only concerned about the things of man instead of the things of God. That's what got Jesus mad, you know? He was like, wow, this guy doesn't even want me to go to the, to suffer and be rejected and die for the sins of the world. He, he didn't want me to, to suffer and die. And it, it got Jesus upset. You know, he was ticked off at that. Where he told Peter, get behind me, Satan. Another one. In Revelation 3, verse 14 to 20, where Jesus talks about lukewarm living and, and that, that it's, it's better to be hot or cold, right? Either be uh, all in or not. You know, it's, it's better to be one or the other and not just to be blah, blah, you know, lukewarm. And Jesus said, if you're lukewarm, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. I'm talking, wow. Think about how strong this language is. And by the way, gang, as you're listening to the lesson, you know, there's going to be things that you're doing well in and things you're not doing well in, right? So be balanced as you hear the lesson today because today's lesson is a little bit stronger than, 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 than we're used to hearing sometimes about some of the teachings of Jesus because we love to, we love Jesus as the loving guy, right? We love him as the, Jesus loves you. He's compassionate. Absolutely. He's all those things. But there's also a side of him where he has expectation on us as disciples of Jesus. To the point where, man, if we're lukewarm in our faith, we're lukewarm in our living, man. <laughs> that's what he that's what he says. And look how serious that is. Okay. And and sometimes I I uh you know, as I think about this, I just go, wow, these are some challenging, challenging scriptures. Lukewarm living, that's blah, you know, instead of being 
hot or cold. In Matthew 18 and verse 6, it was talking about being, if we're stumbling blocks to a child. If you make children struggle, man, you got something coming toward you from Jesus. He even, like, if you make a, if you cause any one of the kids to stumble, he says it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. I mean, do you get the feeling that Jesus is just going, oh, just, I love you. No, right? He's saying he does love you, but because he does, he's going to say the truth. And and it can offend us sometimes. If you make kids stumble, if you treat them in a way that causes harm, man, Jesus has a strong word for you and I. Die, basically, right? Almost. That's what he's saying. Like the, 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 this, this illustration that he's using is like, man, this is how serious this is. And these are some of the things. These are just three appetizers here of, of what of an example. Three examples of what ticked Jesus off. You know, that's how serious he was about some of these things. And so these three examples were just appetizers. But today, let's get to the entree. Right? I want to show you two examples where Jesus was like, "Wow, this matters to me." And he had a righteous indignation about it. And it's in these two thing, two examples right here. The clearing of the temple and the cursing of the fig tree. The clearing of the temple and the cursing of the fig tree. And we're going to look at these two examples. And I hope this will encourage your faith. I hope it'll, I hope it'll challenge you in your faith. I hope it'll help you to go, wow, th- these are some ways I view Jesus. But wow, I need to pay attention about, about Jesus in this manner. And so be balanced, okay? I am saying he's loving, compassionate, and all those great things about Jesus that we love. But there's also a side to him that is assertive, confrontive, challenging, Man, and, and he, he lets it fly. You know, he, he's not going to spare our feelings in this because he loves us. And so in these two examples of what we're going to look at, you know, the clearing of the temple. Now that just sounds a bit rough, right? The clearing of the temple uh, or the cursing of the fig tree. Reese, did you just say that Jesus cursed? Yes, I said that. He cursed at the fig tree. Wow. So let's dive right in. In Mark chapter 11, verse 12 to 18, it's, it reads, The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it, if, had it, if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, "It is, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. What ticked Jesus off? And think about what ticks you off today. Think about all the different issues going on in the world, right? And and whether or not you've been mad at some of some of the responses of people. When you look at social, sometimes I can't watch social media, man, because I. 
I, it, it, it brings my blood pressure up when I hear what people are saying or what people are posting because they have an opinion on it. And, and rightly so. Everyone can have their opinion on it. Uh, but what ticked Jesus off? Well, the first thing I want to talk about is unrighteous worship taking place at the temple. That's one of the first things that that Jesus got angry about in our in with righteous indignation is unrighteous worship in the temple. You know the temple was the pride and joy of God's people. It was their place they could go to experience God, to dream for God, to hope for the future, to remember the past, like the Exodus, right? To help them feel grateful for God saving them. That the, the people could always rely on going to the and going to the temple. It was their pride and joy. Uh, it was a place of faith, fellowship, food, and even fun. You know, they could experience the blessings of God in their lives. It brought so much emotion to a Jew to think of the temple. You know, it's, it, it'd be akin to like when I think about my wife, it brings me so much joy when I think of her. I, I've been married to her for 26 years. She's brought a lot of grace in my life, literally figuratively, metaphorically, I mean, she's, she's just brought a lot of grace in my life, right? I, I think of her, she's my pride and joy. You know, my kids, they're my pride and joy. I get emotional thinking about my my kids. You know, I love Kala'i, Kainani, and, and Kuman. Uh, Kala'i is enjoying her time in, in London. You know, she's having a blast out there. I miss her. I get emotional about her. I get emotional about Nani and, and, and her heart and Ku. And they're all different, right? They're three different kids. They're my pride and joy. They matter to me. Another thing that matters to me is my grandmother's koa bowl that she got for 45 years of service in the, st- in the state of Hawaii Department of Personnel. I want to show you this. This is the bowl that she received from the governor, Governor Ariyoshi in Hawaii for 45 years of service. And, and when I look at this bowl, it gives me so much joy and emotion and pride because my grandmother was a great servant, not only to our family, but to the state of Hawaii for over 45 years. My life, I can't even imagine what my life would be like without my grandmother, you know, in the early parts parts of my life and, and the formative years of my life. And, and when, when she was trying to retire, she took us in and cared for us and served us and loved me and my brother and my mom when we were going through a, a difficult time. If someone broke this bowl, gang, I'd break them, to be honest. I mean, Robert would have to disciple me, put me before the church to confess my sin and my anger of hitting somebody, and then fire me. You know, I mean, I would, like, that's how much this matters to me, you know, to that that, that bowl right there. And I know it's an inanimate object, but, the, but there's memories tied to it. The temple was similar to that, you know. Uh, there's so many good memories that were attached to the temple and the blessings that were put on God's people because of the temple. It was such a beautiful thing. And that was what the temple meant to a Jew. But somehow God's people lost their way, lost their righteousness, got far from God and started to go through the motions. You ever been there before? I've been there before many, many times in my, in my almost 29 years of, of being, a, I mean, 29 years of being a Christian. You know, I've lost my way many, many times uh, and had unrighteous worship. 
It got so bad for the people back then that they turned the place of God designed for praise, prayer, sacrifice, and a place to express devotion to God into a shopping mall, basically. It became a money-changing, extorting, lying, stealing enterprise that made the religious leaders rich off people who traveled miles and miles to come to worship. God's temple became a place full of consumers or takers rather than a place of grateful giving. And, 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 he, and Jesus looked at that as unrighteous worship. Well, what, what, how unrighteous was it? Well, they turned a place of giving into a place of taking. We call that in our modern day vernacular, consumer Christianity, right? To the core. It's all about what you get. Instead of what you give, the temple was a place where people came to give, and God's and and the religious leaders of the time were ripping God's people off. They came with they came miles and miles, and they needed to have a a, a, a animal to sacrifice with with no defect. But because they had to travel for such far distances, their animals got beaten up along the way, got ill, and and they couldn't use that animal to sacrifice because part of worship would be to give your best. That's why in our church we care about what we give. We care about our contribution. We care about special missions or world missions collection because it shows the level of devotion we have and the level of gratitude we have to God to give that, right? God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need, you know, this or that from us because he wants our heart and, and our giving reflects that and expresses that kind of devotion. And, but God's leadership God's people back then got all in disarray and it became a place of consumerism when it was supposed to be a place where they could give and take and and there being exchange going on of, of 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 people's hearts being so in love with God and expressing devotion that this is what they gave back even though they traveled miles upon miles upon miles and the Pharisees would go in and 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 take that over and and make and and sell them animals and rip people off and the people knew that they were being ripped off and still they sacrifice it just shows you the kind of devotion an average Jewish man and woman had you know and Jesus was angry so much that he turned tables in that you know in John 2 he made a whip right and he, I mean think about that Jesus having a whip I you know when I first came to church if I heard Jesus had a whip well I was actually rebellious back then so I'd be like yeah I, I, I want to come to this but when I think back at you know many of those people can be afraid of Jesus because he was so much like that you know and there are two kinds of church I'd like you to consider and if you look at this side, it's a little small, but there's one that this idea of consumerism church, right? And then there's one that's missional church. Consumerism church is where church is seen as a dispenser of religious goods and services. People come to church to be fed. You ever said that before? I'm here to be fed. Or we get angry because we're not being fed or we're not being taken care of. We're all for taking care of one another. We're all for helping out. We're all for, you know, having good programs and all that. But People come to church to be fed, to have their needs met through quality programs, and to have the professionals teach their children about God. It's the mentality of, I go to a church. But another type of church that is more New Testament is a missional church, right? It's a body of people sent. We're on mission. We understand goal. 
We understand that the church is mobile. It's dynamic. It's fluid. You know, it's, it's, it's constantly changing. It's constantly on the move. And we're going to be going to where God is at work in the world rather than just being a place where everyone comes here and the church is like a restaurant. We provide goods and services. And those services are good. You know, we have children's ministry. We have all these great programs. They're great. But if we only get into that, to that, to that mindset of um, consumerism, Christianity, then everything becomes about what we get and not what we give to the world because we receive from Jesus. We receive from God. Amen? And and a missional church understands I am the church. The group I'm in is the church. My marriage is the church. My family is the church. Complete different. I don't go to church. Wherever the church, wherever we gather is where the church is. And, and we're, we're, we're looking for where the kingdom of God is breaking into our present day and age disruption, causing disruption to the point of new creation being created because of that. But what a concept that is. And that's the kind of church that we're trying to build that Robert has talked about, you know, his little vision statement that he has, right? You know what makes me struggle sometimes is when people have the attitude of only what's in it for me. People who complain they're lonely in the church but won't be in a discipling relationship that we try to set them up or try to provide. People who complain about not receiving the blessings, but they're stingy in their giving. You know, People who, point, who can point out all the problems, but won't help and lift a finger to help out. That those some of the things make me ch- challenged, but that it falls in the line of consumerism Christianity. You know, They turn the place of giving into a place of taking. They also turn the place for all nations and made it into a place for only themselves. Uh, man, on top of this, right? This is supposed to be a place of all nations to come and be a part and, and to come and be a part of, but it became only about themselves. Think about this question. As a church, are we still involved in evangelism? Are we involved in reaching other communities and other people for God? Think about that. You know, the Great Commission, it's not the Great Suggestion, right? It's it's the Great Commission. We're commanded to this, to do this. And God's people lost sight of that and of why the temple was built. It's to give back to God, to experience God. But it's also for all nations to come. And so when the church becomes a country club rather than a hospital to help all people of all races, we've turned it into something that is not of God. That ticked Jesus off. And I hope I hope this inspires you. hope you're challenged by this as well. You know, the second thing, and I want to close out here, is in the morning, as they went along, verse 20 to 25, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. What else take Jesus off? What else got him mad? Unfruitful living. Unfruitful living. The context of this passage is that fig trees in Palestine produce fruit year round. And so they were supposed to produce fruit year round. This one wasn't, and it moved Jesus enough to say, may you never bear fruit again. I go, wow, strong language again from Jesus, right? It, 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 he, was, he was laying it out there. 
Why did he say this? Well, because figs are supposed to produce fruit the same way a Christian is supposed to produce fruit. When we don't produce fruit, you know, we're all talk and no action, right? Faith without deeds is dead. That ticked Jesus off. The context of this is talking about people, our faith and where our faith is at. You know, our faith is going to produce fruit if we are, if we have true faith. And faith isn't just believing in Jesus. It's believing enough to act about the things we learn of Jesus, right? So please don't read this wrong. You know, Jesus isn't saying if your faith is dead, if you don't produce fruit, you are not good. He's talking about your faith is not good. And there's a difference. This is not talking about whether he loves you, believes in you, it has compassion for you. This is talking about the kind of faith we have, that when we're not producing fruit, right, we're not exercising our faith, we don't produce fruit. And that is concerning to Jesus, you know, rather than just being concerned about some of the issues in the world, which are great issues, perhaps we should be more concerned about when our faith is dead, right? And that we get in each other's lives and help each other to be challenged by it and love each other enough to walk with each other and help each other to really grow. I mean, I I love that about our fellowship is that we're not afraid to get involved with each other. You know, and, and talk and have some and some good talks. Jesus got emotional over people who say the right words but go through the motions, right? If you play church but don't exercise any faith, Jesus has a word for you. Deeds do matter because they show and express our faith. And so here's the practical today that I'd like you to consider in the two examples that we just looked at. If you're going to get mad, right, over things in the world, toil over the things that make Jesus boil toil over the things that make Jesus boil. Consider working hard at caring about the things that made Jesus boil. Care about those things of God. And the things that don't really matter to, matter to Jesus, perhaps we may want to let that go as well. Perhaps we want to let that go. Try as you might, you won't find many passages in which Jesus got mad at sinners for being sinners. You won't find him venting about people wearing hats in church, what kind of music we sing, what type of leadership style the minister has or doesn't have. You won't find Jesus speaking much about the emperor and what he did or didn't do. He simply reminded people that his kingdom is not of this world. You will, however, find him ticked off at hypocrites, the self-righteous, those who cannot see their own sins. And I've been there many times, but can surely see everyone else's sins and faults. And so let's own it today. I want to encourage us with that. The stuff that ticks a lot of us off just perhaps didn't matter that much to Jesus. Again, I'm not saying you shouldn't have your own opinions. Have them. Examine your thoughts. Be concerned about matters of this world. Be passionate. But let's stop being angry Christians unless it's about something that also made Jesus mad. What did we learn today? Our series is about things that Jesus taught. Our lesson was entitled, What Angered Jesus? And we talked about two examples of unrighteous worship got him riled up. Unfruitful living got him riled up. And areas that you may have to grow in, great. We can repent of those things, but also look at areas you're doing well in. Many of us are are doing well in righteous worship, where you have good worship going on. You are bearing fruit. Awesome. Keep that going. But as we encounter things in the world and discuss things in the world, Let's also remember, practically, let's toil over the things that made Jesus boil. 
I'm not saying don't have an opinion, thought, or concern about things in a world. But if you are going to get mad or angry, let's consider getting mad or angry over the things that made Jesus mad or angry. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your attention. Have a wonderful day today. Aloha. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com 